Performance Plus presents the Summit Club Podcast, your business roundtable discussion for sales and business leaders with your host, Bill Stats. Hi, and welcome to the Summit Club, a business roundtable. I'm your host, Bill Stats, and today I'm with our Summit Club senior contributor, John Thane. Hi, JT. Hey, Bill. I got to tell you, I am so glad to be part of this series. It's interesting in that it's the first in another series of ours. It's the first master's roundtable session consisting of an open forum discussion around current business topics with six of our 12 peak performance plus summit club masters, i.e. top performers in their fields. Boy, it's so valuable to hear about the experiences from the roundtable. Well, our goal, John, we've been through this before share valuable insights into business challenges, potential options, and maybe some resources facing business today. We're proud to showcase some of our client superstars, if you will. So thanks for joining us at the Masters Roundtable, and how about we listen in? I'm Holly DeFanti. I'm National Sales Director at the Business Journals. Um, I'm based out of our New York location, which is in the One World Trade Building, which is pretty neat to to work out of. Um, I've been with the Business Journals for 10 years, uh, managing uh, the ad sales here out of our New York office. I know Bill Stats from back in the day at CFO Publishing, uh, you know, my first entry really into the publishing world, um, Bill Stats came in and headed up a session to train our sales team. So I learned a lot of skills from him and that's how I am brought here and connected with you all today. Hi everyone, I'm Suzanne Jackson. I'm a CPA. I run my own accounting and tax practice now for about 13 years. Um, I met Bill probably 15-ish years ago uh, in his sales training as I was in a business development role at a previous CPA firm and uh, learned enough through Bill and through the role I was in to give me the confidence to start my own firm and uh, wouldn't have it any other way. So happy to be here. Look forward to what comes next. Hi, I'm Cindy Wadsworth. As Bill knows, I am a serial entrepreneur. I am a realtor by trade. I have my own real estate team as well as a real estate company that I run and manage. I own a property management company and I have an investment company that does uh, buy and holds for long-term rentals as well as short-term Airbnb rentals. And I am also a certified success coach. I have known Bill for 34 years. Uh, when I first got into the real estate business, I came from corporate and went into a business on my own. And I felt I needed a coach to help me on that journey. And he inspired me so much that I became a coach myself. And I have uh, been coaching for about 15 years now, mostly helping new agents get into the business and get their businesses up and running as Bill helped me 34 years ago, as well as taking existing agents and getting their businesses to the next level. And I do some uh, personal life coaching as well. Hi, I'm Jessica Baum. I am regional sales manager for a company called TB Philly and TBP Converting. Uh, we are based out of Phoenixville, Pennsylvania, um, and our company, what we mostly focus on is providing bonding and sealing components um, for companies that are involved in manufacturing settings. 
Um, so I've been with TB Philly for nine years. About two years ago, I moved into a management role. So currently um, working on managing two other sales reps that cover the Southeast. So Bill and I have known each other coming up on nine years. Bill was very instrumental when I first came on at TVP, kind of helping me, you know, figure out the route that I wanted to go uh, moving into a sales role with the company. So thanks for having me and happy to be here. Hi, I'm Matthew McCoy. I'm a business unit director for a company called Jable. We're a pretty large contract manufacturer. Most of our customers are Fortune 500 companies and we don't advertise, we don't put our name on anything. We simply utilize our manufacturing expertise to uh, make high quality products in large volumes. Been with the company about a year and a half. I've been asked to, to stand up a couple of new energy storage businesses. Um, so full PL leadership uh, responsibility for those projects. And Bill and I worked together, I don't know, maybe eight, nine years ago. And it was a fantastic experience. And I'll tell you why. What what Bill did was he introduced some very basic tools and then continually enhanced them, not just to drive unification with the sales team, with the customers, but equally important, driving unification with the sales team internally within the company to ensure all parties are aligned to drive growth together as an entire team. And, and uh, it was a very valuable experience for me. I hope Bill got something out of it. I know I did. Yeah, I got to ride in an Uber with you from the, the whatever restaurant that was in Chattanooga where we drank too much Booker's. I'm Justin Ebert. I'm the, I'm the national sales director for, uh, for Peerless Products. I, um, I handle all of our outside teams as far as our representation, our inside teams as far as the support staff for, for all of Peerless. So Peerless is a window and door, aluminum window and door manufacturing company out of Kansas. Um, you know, I, I'm listening to you guys a little bit on the same deal. Me and Bill, me and Bill got together a long time ago worked in, in different aspects of what we were trying to do as a company. Uh, our company was newer uh, to some of the programs as far as sales. Um, and I was newer to some of the programs as far as sales. So we got to go through uh, a bunch of the same items of learning and different things. And that's, uh, you know, that's, that's how we grew. And that's how this company has grown and utilizing those same uh, things that I learned in the, in those deals. So that's, that's a little bit of my history. Let's talk about business. Whoever wants to start. I'll start. I'll start with a dirty word. I'm just curious amongst the group if anybody has a practical or is using AI in your businesses to any um, benefit, time savings. Uh, I'm have I'm struggling in my profession where so much of the written word is um, already. I guess, written by our standards that we have to follow. So there's not always a ton of creativity in our documents from a CPA standpoint. So um, anybody using it and uh, having success with it? And Bill, I hope that's an appropriate question. It is because just so to frame it, you two, when you go on Zoom now, it comes up and, and it asks you if you want to use AI in the context of the meeting it's i just first time i saw it was this morning and for what i have no idea what it, whether <laughs> it edits what you all are saying it does i think it's called otter ai and yeah. it takes a live meeting like this and um makes a blog out of it 
um, puts SEO into it. So it, it rises up naturally in a Google search and um, it transcribes the entire meeting. I do use AI. So um, I just came back from our international convention and the main focus, um, there were two main focuses. One was um, commitment to service in our communities and the other was uh, technology and AI because they said that they don't feel that AI is going to put us out of business, but what they do feel is that the um, realtors, in my case, that use AI in their business will put the realtors who are not using it out of business. So we use it from doing exactly what I was just telling you about with uh, taking our live uh, meetings and transcribing them, turning them into blogs. We do it for our videos. We do long, long videos and then there are AI products that will cut them down into shorts. So you can use them on reels and um, YouTube shorts, which is becoming hugely popular. We use it to write email campaigns for us to drip on leads that have come in to our systems. Um, we use it to create ads for us um, for uh, either our properties or in uh, my case, when we are looking to bring new agents into our company, we use it to um, create ads for us to attract agents to come into our company. It, it's funny that you bring up AI uh, because I recently, and I'm glad to hear that someone using it, you could probably teach me some tips. Um, but I did come across an article saying, you know, is AI going to take our jobs or, you know, close out our business? And the, the big key thing out that I got out of the article was know that it's not, but if you don't jump on the bandwagon and start using it, you're, you're going to fall behind. Yeah. Um, and I say it's funny because, uh, Bill, when you asked for my bio, I haven't written a really good bio about myself. I've been here for 10 years and I haven't really had to use it. And I used AI to help me <laughs> cheat with my bio just to yeah. let you know a little bit, um, just to clean it up and make it did come out professional and nice and it's telling, you know, what you do and then spitting out this great bio, professional bio for you to, to use. So um, being in sales, I, I should start using it more for emails and, and marketing tools. Um, the more you use it too, the more intuitive it comes to your language. So something like you just said about the bio, if you use um, chat GPT, mm -hmm. you can continue to ask it. There's a series of 10, 10 questions that we have that we ask it to kind of drill it down to exactly what we're looking for. So you put the initial thing in, right? And it spits out your bio and then you can say, well, I like that, but can you change it? And, and you can say, um, believe this, believe it or not, this is kind of a little scary, but they tell you to write your articles in a third grade language, because that is the average of what, when people are reading blogs and stuff, the, the quickness that they can read it. So as you're doing your um, your bio, you can just start asking it questions and very specific questions. And I can send those questions to you guys if you want them. Um, and it will learn your language and write it to make it sound more human. Because that that's the concern we always had is that it sounded so mechanical, mm -hmm. right? That's the concern. Uh, Ashley Murray, who's my social media director, we've done both an AI version and her version. And it seems like it lacks humanity unless you yeah. kind of make it fit in, into, your, uh, into your personality and your environment. That's why I feel like you, you, you'll always need both. Put your little twist and touch on it, but it really saved me time to help me 
blast out a quick bio that was professional, but then tweak it to be Holly. Jess, any any thoughts on that? We have not used any, I mean, aside from something like, would a constant contact be something that could be considered in the realm of AI? It is if you use their um, bot. So okay. we we used to use con constant contact. We use Ylopo now. And there is a bot. Her name is Raya. And she actually speaks to our leads as they come in. And believe it or not, when we reach out to our leads to, to talk to them, a lot of them will not talk to us. But when Raya reaches out, she gets them to start talking to, to her. And then we see that. And then we can take over and put, you know, the human part of it in. Hmm. Yeah, that's very interesting. I, uh, I mean, Bill, you, you kind of know TB Philly. I, we're, uh, we're not, I, I don't think we're really utilizing anything um, from that realm. We did just hire two new women in our marketing group. So maybe this is a conversation I can bring back to them for, you know, some ideas that they could have for how to utilize it for things that they're doing. I think the really good opportunity to check out AI in the context of how you're selling yourself. And most times what we see on LinkedIn are reposts. Very rarely does anybody talk about how they do what they do. And that's the humanity. We call it reimagining your personal brand. People don't, you know, especially if you're in a position where you recruit, like Cindy or Matt may be doing that. Holly, I know, does. People want to know about you and they check you out. It may really help you. I was just thinking, I know it's been, you know, three plus years since COVID, but I think all of our businesses have probably been hit and slashed from that. And I feel just in the publishing world, um, I, I'm trying to figure out how long it has been. I go by my baby. I had my baby uh, right in the heart of COVID. So he's about three and a half. Um, I've been working so hard these three and a half years just to get our ad sales back to where it was three and a half years ago. And I finally see the light and I'm just the New York office. Our company as a whole is still hurting um, majorly from it. And we've had to have kind of cuts and, and downsize. Um, so I guess I'm just curious to hear everyone's insights. If you feel that kind of same level, um, obviously we're all slashed dollars majorly down. I I feel I've been able to build the New York kind of back up where I see a light, but just as a whole, still, still hurting from that. So Holly, I have, I have something interesting. Um, so our company, we, we supply um, and distribute a lot of different products. We're privately owned. And at the beginning of COVID, our management basically made the call that we're kind of in the accessory products that people don't necessarily, that our manufacturers don't always think about as the forefront product to make their product, but they still need our products to ship their products out. So one thing that we did was we brought on a fairly large amount of inventory at the beginning of COVID throughout COVID, um, which actually benefited us during COVID when all of the supply chain issues, you know, came up for a lot of our competition. You know, we had material on the floor that a lot of people didn't. 
and we're waiting, you know, three, four, five, six months to get. So I think we're kind of at a point where it helped us get our foot in the door with maybe customers that, you know, we were struggling to do business with. But when we had inventory, it kind of, you know, obviously made things a lot easier to start working with companies. Um, And I think this year we're kind of seeing that, as supply chains are kind of going back to what they typically have been, you know, our competitors have more product readily available. We're trying to kind of climb that battle of, you know, Hey, we got not really like give me sales, but because we had product on our floor um, that made it a lot easier for us to have conversations with, you know, a, a big group of customers that we had not previously dealt with. Um, so I think now that things are kind of leveling out from our perspective, um, it's been interesting to kind of see how we're starting to, you know, have to be able to maintain or find new sales to account for maybe the, you know, the sales that were give me's because we had stock on our floor, maybe different area that we were in than what you're talking about. But it's, it's been kind of interesting over the last year, I would say for, what we've experienced as a company because of that. I'm not sure how in tune you guys are with the real estate market, but since COVID, it has um, it has been great and it has been challenging. So from a company perspective, um, I work with EXP Realty and we are a 100% virtual company. So we were actually built to survive something like COVID well before COVID happened. So I was very fortunate that that, um, we had that support behind us from a local hypermarket. It's been a a very big challenge with inventory. So during COVID, a lot of families realized because they were in lockdown that they didn't like their houses. So they wanted to move. And a lot of them felt like they wanted to go more towards bigger houses. So extended family could be with them. It turned into this inventory battle. And I've been selling real estate for 34 years now. And we are, we had the lowest inventory that we've ever had in history right now. So it is um, very challenging for buyers to buy right now because we we put a house on the market and we get 20 offers, a hundred thousand over asking in 48 hours. That has been a real challenge. We do have, I mean, I have a huge pipeline of sellers wanting to sell because the equity in their homes have gone through the roof. We've seen 12 to 15% appreciation in homes, um, but a lot of them don't want to sell until they know where they're going. So it's kind of like this, uh, catch 22. As as we saw in 2008-2009, half the real estate uh, agents got out of the business. We're starting to see that right now too. So in 2008-2009, um, we started out with 1.5 million realtors and we ended up with 750,000. Right now, NAR, the National Association of Realtors, has lost 40% of the realtors. A lot of them who got in right before COVID and during COVID weren't taught how to actually prospect and lead generate because people think realtors are in the business of selling houses, but they're really in the business of generating leads. And they weren't taught how to because it was just, you know, everybody was like in this frenzy as soon as the world opened back up. And now those people are all getting out because they just, they honestly don't know how 
to generate business for themselves. And we had the, had the same challenge, you know, with people coming back into the offices because people found out that they didn't need to, they didn't need to work in the office. And we found that it, it, there's a certain culture when you come into the office that is a collaborative culture that when people are at home, they kind of disconnect from. So that's been that's been a challenge, trying to get people to come back into the office and participate in our masterminds and our trainings and our fun, even our fun events. The culture kind of shifts a little bit too, if that makes sense. I don't think there has ever been a more important time to have a rock solid network of known and trusted individuals with whom you can depend on. And, and I'll share some reasons why. With the communication tools that we have today and the speed with which information moves, um, it's one of those scenarios where the squeaky wheel gets the grease, right? And so if, if you're bombarded with information and sales leads and your funnel's filling, is it the right funnel? Is it the right direction? Is it the right margin for the business? Does the, does the direction of the leads and the opportunities follow the direction that the business sees itself in 10, 15, 20 years? And oftentimes, because of the bombardment of information and the, and the, and the cross communications that may or may not be aligned, um, the opportunity for a business to go off in a direction they had never intended to go is, is high. So I would say it has probably never been more important to have a rock solid business vision and direction outlined so the noise can be kind of expelled and count on your trusted network of individuals with whom you had trusted relationships. Utilize them as a filter, if you will, to ensure you remain on the right direction because uh, squeaky, wheel, squeaky wheels, although it may be great top line revenue and it may be uh, an instant gratification, it may be uh, dilutive to the overall direction the business wants to go from a strategic perspective. So we, uh, we have to be very careful with how we receive the information, the communications, and does it align internally with the business? And does it more importantly align with the customer's um, vision of direction to ensure that the customer gets what they need for the long term? It's, it's a tough balance. Justin? No, I I think it's a very tough balance and they we're in the you know building supply industry as you guys know and, and parts of that tpp is somebody that we that we would share some of the same uh, same items the, the the biggest you know thing for us was um, our clientele so as our as covid was coming through our clientele um that we did have our relationships that we did have were being forced into different areas or different opportunities that we uh, maybe not have been so successful at They're trying to pull us into those opportunities before us into you know, realizing can we be here um, as, a, as a company for for a lot of what they were trying to do, mainly because the the items that we were getting into and the most of the uh, most of the um, opportunities that we were in had either paused or had went away. You know, and now we're seeing the same things that our, our effects in our company has more to do with the interest rates, too, you know, when it comes into building and different things. So you have a lot of changing items from COVID, you know, that were layovers that that really changed our go to market schemes, you know, for some of these products and some of these items. We we took on a newer product line uh, during those times coming out of COVID, which also helped us enhance, you know, a newer clientele that was coming to that market. And so it, it 
I think one thing that COVID helped us realize, you know, is the different things that we could be doing and some of the things that we don't want to be doing. <laughs> and, that's, and that was probably the bigger, uh, the bigger takeaway on, uh, on some of it, trying to be there for the clients when they were in situations that we weren't, um, we weren't the best at. You know, when it comes to the training, I, I, or it comes to the interior, interiors of our company and the personnel, I think one of the um, the bigger items that COVID had an effect on was we we were a young group. Um, Bill would know this. He's helped, he's helped train some of the ones that are still there, uh, but we're a young group and um, and we're bringing on new talent all the time. One of the the difficulties was um, you know a work from home atmosphere that can't be done, but then you lose the training. You forget you don't realize as a company um, that the type of holes that are in your training, the type of holes that are in the different parts of the education that this team members have to have. And um, they all the, they don't get that from reading or going through some of those. It's almost uh, in this situation, being present, being present around team members. That was a big, um, that was a big learning curve for us. Um, our sales, our sales teams, you know, out there were having to deal with support people that they depend on. And those support people have to be educated and have to understand the situations that they're in and, bringing the groups back in, even working remote in the, in the product line that we brought on, that whole entire group is a remote work group and handling clientele in different parts of that, handling the business internally, you can tell the struggles, you know, that are there, you know, from, from the layover of that. So it's a, it's definitely a challenge and it's definitely, a, I would say probably more inclined is that our clientele shift happened in COVID, which we're relearning some of our newer clients and some of the, uh, some of the uh, markets that we don't want to be in and the personnel, the training is, has been a big effect that we're, we've had to adapt. So I would say the biggest, well, one of the biggest challenges in my industry, and we touched on it a little bit with the AI is just keeping up with technology and how quickly it is changing. I agree um, so much with Matt that right now, the the biggest thing um, that I'm focusing on is growing my network and and how to be authentic with doing that, right? Because people have so many different ways of communicating and just, just on social media, they have so many different ways of communicating. It's kind of like, how do you keep up with all the different places that you can get messages from and all the different places that you should be posting and putting ads on? And um, it, it just, to me, it gets a little bit overwhelming and, I know that they say like when you lose, when you feel like you lose motivation, it's more because you've lost focus, not your motivation. But in a world where there are so many squirrels, I'm not really sure how to keep focus and what to focus on, you know? Ride horses, don't herd cats. That, yeah. <laughs> that is, that is a mantra. It feels a lot that... like herding cats. It yeah. really does. Yeah. yeah. Find your horses, ride them, ride them well. In my opinion, that's that has it's, it keeps you focused, it keeps you aligned, and it and it helps keep some of the noise out. It's difficult. That's both internal and external. So it's it's tough. It's it's really really tough. And that goes into, in my opinion, recruiting. Um, the biggest uh, a big challenge internally for I think most companies is number one grooming a bench. Right. And one of the things that that I've done is I said, OK, um, all my staff, you need to provide me three names of who your replacement could should be. Right. And at first, it's kind of a well, why are we doing this? 
But ultimately, it's the responsible thing to do for the business overall, not just the individual. But if, if we want the business to continue and succeed, you never know what might happen. And having a bench of, of suitable candidates, not just from what I think, but what from each of the staff members thinks is very beneficial. And then you can start looking at it, stratifying the staff and developing a bench program. It takes investments. But I think if you plan ahead and you and you. Uh, Cap, you know, fund some capital into grooming a bench. The long-term costs um, are, are are significantly improved. You know, it takes. Uh, Bill, what, what's the average time to take a rookie sales guy and and make them into not just a rookie but a decent one, and then again to be in a top performer? It's it's years. Yeah. And so, if you're if you're going to invest a large amount of money in training, which is important. You don't want that churn rate to be high. So selecting the right people, keeping them motivated and keeping them within the team and grooming more bench, it's it's tough because all that noise that we're talking about, you know, oh, squirrel LinkedIn, some guy wants me, oh, I'm gone. And you just lost hundreds of thousands of dollars in investment, not only in training, but in lost productivity. You got to train a new person. It's, it's rough. I remember I was working for the... Japanese company that bought Jurgens. It was the first time I really ran into and had never run into with Crayola where Cal Brands, that was the name of the Japanese company, were, they were growing like crazy. And the VP of sales I had known before and it was so apparent that they had hired people that we labeled amongst ourselves blockers. No one had ever, and TBP had adopted what I'm gonna say. Um, no one, when these sales reps and administrative people were uh, were recruited, ever said, let me ask you a question. If three to five years from now there was an, an offer in wherever, uh, would you be open to that? And it, it wasn't a discriminatory thing. It was like, we're just trying to figure out where everyone would fit. And in so many cases, people, they had great opportunities but they really, you know, my husband's a school teacher and my kids are here and whatever. So I think a, a lot, to Matt's point, a lot more time really pays off if you invest it in picking or at least acculturating new people to know we're on a fast track. And I think with Jess, you've brought on a lot of new people that knew from the get-go, if we're successful, we're going to be on the move. and it's good to know that ahead of time. It doesn't mean people won't say, I don't think so, and then later change their minds. That happens too. But the more you invest in the front end, the more you're going to get out in, in the longer longer view. Justin's company had reps flying out of his his CEO says, you got you to be here at the plant. This is, this is a, a business where you need to understand all the details about the manufacturing and then you go wherever you have to go to what he called be a rock star, get off a plane and sell the business. It's good to know that up front before you train someone that goes, eh, I don't want to really do that. You know, when Matt, uh, Matthew, when you were talking, you know, about the bench and as Bill, you know, referring to that, you know, when you, when you look at the bench um, and you try to help identify, how do, how do you, how do you maintain that bench? How do you keep them engaged in different parts of 
of that to keep that there where, you know, you clearly are looking at it as, you know, this person or these individuals are your next up and coming, but you have to keep them engaged. You have to keep them involved in some of these that maybe there's another senior level individual is in, you know, or, or you're grooming for that. But how do you, how do you maintain that, that higher level of effectiveness on a bench side? Yeah. Uh, great question. Um, what I did was, you know, when, when I took over in my, my previous role, I, I had a sales staff of sales engineers, 20, 22 of them. And I, I just did an assessment on them. I would go and I would build a book of questions, maybe 20 questions, the exact same questions I would ask to every single individual. And um, a few of the questions were targeted to, okay, what does your future look like? What is it? What are your dreams? What are your aspirations? What do you want to be when you grow up? And the questions never stop, as, as, as we all know. Um, but out of the group, you're not going to get, oddly enough, a lot of people that say, I want to go higher. I want more responsibility, more work, more blah, blah, blah. But the ones that you do, right, and there might only be one or two, maybe three at most, who, who clearly say, I want to accomplish this. I want to master my craft. And then I want more responsibility and spread that. And those, those individuals, you check them and, and you ask the honest question, are you sure this is what you want to do? Because it's a lot. And then what you do is you, you target those individuals and pressure test them. Pressure testing is a means of saying, okay, I'm going to not dump, but delegate some higher level work that really needs to be done. And I don't have the time to do it. Would you mind taking this on? And allow them to make mistakes. It's, it's absolutely crucial that we celebrate mistakes and failures because that's how you really learn, right? Nobody wants to make mistakes. Nobody wants to right. fail. But allow them the, the bandwidth to go and misstep. Don't, you know, there's a fine balance of devastating a company's P&L statement versus, okay, we kind of blew this or blew that. But let them grow and expand Give them not just the, the decision-making authority, but also the responsibility and accountability to go along with it. And it's shocking how quickly that will grow that individual. And it becomes, um, you know, the other team members will see it and some of them will shy away from it because they just want to be the individual contributor and do their job. And, and that's that. But some others will say, hey, this is really good. And then and then the, the really cool thing, the, the tertiary effects that take place is, these these experiences from these younger folks start getting out into the field and the young up and comers that are energetic and smart and driven will say, hey, I want to be a part of this team because it's got a great grooming ground for 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 future. Yeah. Future leadership. I know Holly mentioned to me at one point you were recruiting somebody underneath you or whatever. And, and it might have been when we did the podcast a few years ago where you said, I want to find somebody like me. And you had your paperwork and everything saying, I, I say to people, you have to be able to do this. And they look at me like, you got to find out sooner than, rather than later. They're not going to, they won't do it. And uh, some will. Well, th this is um, very timely. So in our organization, we do a book club. And I don't know if you guys read, you can listen to it audible, you can read it, but I'm going to hold this up. Uh, Give and Take by Adam Grant. If you guys haven't read it, get it because it's exactly everything that you're talking about, like how to find givers, how to find takers or how to spot them. 
how to work with them in a team, how to um, get more collaboration out of them, how to let them fail without, you know, making them feel like it's not a learning experience. Fabulous, fabulous book. I highly recommend it. The The whole chapter that I read this morning was all on about how to um, spot the the people that are going to highly exceed your expectations. And you know what it was all about? They, they did all these research studies with teachers, with military, and they had somebody go in and just arbitrarily pick 20% of the group and say, this person tested to, you know, to, to be high up and, and is going to exceed all your expectations. And because the instructor or the trainer or whatever had those expectations, they made it a self-fulfilling prophecy with the people. Those people had no other no other advantages over the other people in the group, but because they were spotted and the instructor was told that they were, or the employer was told that they were, that employer spent the time with them to help them succeed and to Great. help them like break all the, all the sales goals and everything. Very cool. Cross-functional teams are also a way to expose people to different roles and responsibilities. And there's no hierarchy. They don't report, you know, Jess wouldn't necessarily report to a manager over here, but as a cross-functional team, she learns how to manage what she needs to get to be successful in the project. And managers learn to identify other folks that have a lot more capability than they might've thought. So. Well, hey, hey, Bill, Bill yeah. before, would, would there be any chance you could share the story of how you got selected as a young Air Force officer for some of the higher level jobs? I, I still love that story, and I think it exemplifies what we're talking about here. <laughs> yeah, right. I wound up in Southern California on my way to Southeast Asia, and I, we had a new commander. I was only there for like three weeks. Um, we got a new commander, and the first thing that the uh, youngest general in the Air Force did was he interviewed everybody on our site, which is like 246 people. And he had a a civilian secretary. And when you get a call from the youngest general in the Air Force's secretary saying, uh, you need to meet with General Fapel at this time on this day. And it's like, you gotta be kidding me. And he did one-on-ones with everybody there. And I'm sitting there and he says, what the hell are you doing up there doing maintenance stuff? And I said, well, it's the only thing I could get uh, as an assignment because there's a war going on and and I wear glasses, so I'm not flying a Phantom. And he said, well, that's ridiculous. You're now in charge of Task Force Alpha. And I was like, I don't even know what Task Force Alpha was. But he said... uh, put your thinking cap on and come back to me with a couple of people that you think ought to be on your team. I'm reading Elon Musk's book. It's real thick and it's really interesting. Real, real, especially Justin from manufacturing. Holy moly. Yeah. Kaizen, he never, never going to happen. He He's going to take every short <laughs> that'll make money. That's right. His gimbal walk <laughs> is by himself in the middle of the night changing stuff on his own <laughs> but it's a it's, you oh, can't argue with it it's i forget i saw someone on uh some television interview who said you got to be kidding the guy has done everything that people said you couldn't do nasa said hey, well, no private guy's never going to be able to make rockets and whatever that you can't make an electric car and 
Twitter. I mean, he says now people ought to be able to speak their minds. You're all in a master's roundtable because from my view, you're all masters at what you do. You've had enough achievement that there's no doubt in my mind that you're playing at a higher level. Well, John, how about that for a great start to our master's roundtable series? Following the recording session, Cindy found discussion around AI and remote working interesting, and Holly was AI and talent development. I was really impressed at how easily these people, even for masters, they share information, perspective, they share challenges. I mean, really wide open and, and really pretty honest. They obviously recognize that solutions are more effectively found collaboratively than they are individually. Jeez, you know, Bill, I'm always amazed that most businesses are the same regardless of product and service. The challenges are the same, the opportunities are the same. So with that being said, networking and the sharing of experience is more important than ever to build for the future. Boy, you got that right, JT. Special thanks to today's masters, Cindy Wadsworth, Holly DeFanti, Suzanne Jackson, Jess Baum, Justin Ebert, and Matt McCoy. If you have topic suggestions or questions you'd like discussed, just send them to summitclubpodcast at gmail.com. Check out other podcast episodes covering a variety of businesses. Boy, that's for sure. And go to either summitclubpodcast.com or Summit Club Business Roundtable wherever you get your podcasts. Also, don't forget that we here at the Summit offer business consulting and social media services, as well as training and coaching, whether group, team, or individual. Well, JT, that's about it. So shut it down. Well, for myself, John Thane, our host, Bill Stacks, our social media director, Ashley Murray, and our creative and production guru, John Try, we look forward to seeing you at the summit. To learn more about the Summit Club podcast, please find us online at www.summitclubpodcast.com. Thanks for listening to the Summit Club podcast, and we'll see you at the top. This podcast was recorded, produced, and engineered by summitclubpodcast.com.